Hey all you wild people out there, this is Hyperborean Radio Uncensored. Welcome to our super secret broadcast. I'm Celtic God and with us today, as usual, is the Lorekeeper. Hello Lorekeeper here. Hope everyone's doing alright there out in the wastelands of modernity. And if you're interested in supporting us, you can do so by going to the Hyperborean Buy Me a Coffee or our GoFundMe and support us there and our work. But today, we wanted to talk about sort of something we've touched on in the vein of shows like It's Not That Complicated or To Build a Culture and start at the beginning. I think a lot of people, what they try to do is they try to go from whatever they were doing before and then hop into it full force. There's a lot more to it than that. There's actually almost like a detox period that's required. Well, yeah, and really that's because it's a completely different way of viewing the world, which means it's a completely different um, mindset. It's a, a You think in a completely different way from other people. So going coming to paganism, and I, I think this is where a lot of people get confused, they get frustrated, they think it's really hard, is because what they're trying to do basically is just shift a couple things and then pile paganism on top of it. The, the heathen way, the, the ancient ways on top of what it is that they're already doing when really the the best results I've seen are the people that's like, yeah, there's there's a lot going on in my head. I've been taught a lot of things that are, mo- it's not that they're incorrect or just blatant lies, but they're partial truths or even entire truths that's just spun until it becomes a thing that it's not. And then rather than jumping into the rituals that they're used to seeing in relation to um, to uh, uh, religions or the, the various ceremonies and the, what are those things called where the preacher stands up in the front and all the sheep sit in front of them? Sermons. Sermons. And they're, rather than expecting all this or trying to jump into that and reading, you know, all these books and taking that face value because, you know, pagans don't lie. Um, so I can take all of this at face value instead what they do the the best results i've seen is they realize that the world has been presented to them in a false way and they start identifying where these things are and detoxifying them themselves so because here's the thing if you're here listening to us you have realized that there's something wrong there is something wrong so first step that you have to make is figuring out what is wrong and this is uh, another tip. It's something we actually lost a few followers on our Telegram, I think, over this. Is we presented that a lot of these books that you get on paganism aren't written by pagans. Or if they call themselves pagans, they're still running everything through an Abrahamic lens. But it's, it's academic and it's, it's all academic and scholarly, so it must be on the up and up. But stop and think about all the things that academics and scholars present in the wrong way or that they're just flat wrong on, as well as a, a universalistic view a lot of them will still have. And then they present this as fact, you trusting the academics and the scholars, then grab it and directly download it into your brain because you haven't detoxified yourself yet. We have to detoxify first. Begin at the beginning. Just, just Basically, you have to bring yourself back to the childlike state as far as viewing the world. Well, and one thing I really want to recommend is anyone that gets into paganism, 
Keep how you view paganism very, very fluid. Never stop taking it in a fluid way because it's going to be generations to chip off all the nonsense. But when I first got into paganism, like, and I, I even wrote about this on the Telegram to an extent, I was kind of just like everybody else. I was trying to absorb as much information as I could. And I even was like Odin Allfather. I was originally buying into the Indo-European because everyone was talking about it. And then I started to notice that everyone was disagreeing on what was what on Indo-European. Who the Sky Papa is, who the Earth Mother is, who this was, who that was, who this matches up with, who's this, who's that, what books are correct, who what's this, what counts, what doesn't count. You know, because some versions, they won't include the Celts in the Indo-European, but they'll include the Hebrews. It gets kind of odd. And when you start looking into the origins of it, yeah, it's not really a trustworthy method of language determination. But it is something that... Because before I even got into paganism, and I actually encourage anyone who's interested in getting into paganism, as much as I, I would love for as much of our people to come to back to ethnic faith and traditions as possible, make sure you actually want to. Because it's not easy. And it's also not hard. It's not hard either. But... When I was going into paganism, before I went into paganism, I was also looking at Catholicism, specifically uh, Orthodox Catholicism, because that was all the rage. Uh, I was looking into Mormonism. I briefly looked into Buddhism before I read too much pacifist crap and was like, this is garbage. Um, I looked into other forms of spirituality. Why? Because at the time, I was relatively lost. I had been detoxifying myself for about two years from the liberal I had been before I even started digging into spirituality, which means I had been detoxing myself from modernity two years before I even got into paganism. That's not after I became pagan. That's before I became pagan. And then I started looking and I found more and more and now I'm where I'm at. And it actually, to be honest, it's a little hard to explain kind of how I view things now. Because everyone knows what you're talking about when you say the Norse pantheon. Everyone knows what you're talking about when you say the Greek pantheon. Everyone has a rough idea when you say Slavic or uh, Celtic or Finnish. But when you say, I'm a German-American pagan, that very much confuses people. What I mean is that I am of German descent, so the gods of Germany, which yes, there's bleed over with the Scandinavians, but there's also bleed over with the North Italians. And the Celts. And the, Celt and the Celts and the Slavs and the Balts, etc., etc. There's even a little bit of Basque bleed over, oddly enough. Uh, but that's mostly symbols. And that's probably way older. But all of this, it makes it seem complicated, but it's actually really simple. And a lot of it comes down to asking questions. Because you will never piss off people more than asking them a question they'd never thought to ask. Like one of the, my big ones is, is there any proof that Woden and Odin are the same besides saying their names are the same? And everyone just kind of gets dumbfounded. I had somebody backtrack and try to tell me the etymology was foolproof. It's not foolproof. Don't let anyone tell you that. That doesn't mean that they're not connected or that they might not have even fed into each other. It's merely stating... We don't know. And until there's actual evidence, I have to, for the sake of the gods, keep them separate, at least to an extent. 
Because when you combine gods, you are making them lesser. You are saying this god doesn't matter, this god doesn't matter, but I put them together. Now there's a god sandwich, and I like that one. And this is a symptom of Christianity. Because like people will say, well, we only have 12 gods, and the rest are aspects. This is a concept from Hinduism that did not exist in European faiths. Until the academics drug it in. And on top of that, the 12 that everyone likes, that's from the Olympians, which themselves were not 12. Even officially, there's more like 13, but you, they swap one out. Um, and they weren't even necessarily the most important gods because a lot of the gods, like Persephone or um, Hermes or... Pan, you know, gods that people know, they weren't Olympians. They're still really important. Well, and as far as, um, because I mentioned detoxifying until basically you are as a child, which here, I'm going to give you a couple examples. One, if I talk to a child and I say, I want you to become a hero. So for that, you need to behave heroically. The child does not need that explained to them. And yet adults will look at me blankly or, you know, if you're, if I'm communicating with them online, I'll see the dot, dot, dot for like 20 minutes. And then they'll say, well, what do you mean hero? What is a hero? What is heroic? Heroic to who? But the child, I don't have to explain it to. He just instinctively knows what a hero is. When you're talking to a child about the, the different gods, um, I'm not sure which ones they try mushing together in, in the Greek, but I'm just going to pull some shit out of my ass. So, so, you know, take a grain of salt with it. But I'm sure you've seen it in other places. Um, with a child, you tell a story of Zeus, you tell a stories of Hermes, tell a story of uh, Poseidon. I think that's that one's Greek, uh, not Roman. Either way, the child will understand these as three different deities. The adult is then... Well, you see, Zeus is much like Hermes in the way that Hermes moves really, really fast, like lightning, and that links him to, to stop, stop, just stop, kiss. kiss uh, um, I'm going to make a playoff from uh, um, the Dread Pirate McThunder. Kiss the gods. Keep it stupid simple. Well, and... To be honest, this is actually something that annoys me, and it's this is the reason why. Is I was talking to someone about uh, the old man of the mountain, better known as Rubizol. He hates that name, but, um, and he came to the conclusion that he was Odin. He ha he visibly made five jumps in logic to conclude that five unsubstantiated jumps. And then proceeded to tell me, well, you can have your opinion, but I firmly believe in the interconnectedness of our gods. And I'm like, but you just jumped five steps. You went from, you basically had to make a god of mountains and mining into a shamanic war god of the aristocracy. And this is the thing that most confuses me, if I'm honest, when it comes to like Woten and Woden. And trying to tie him, in, them into Odin. Odin was a god of the aristocracy. This is documented. He was very important to them. The most important god by far to the average Scandinavian was Thor. He was the god of the everyman, the fertility god. 
Freyr, too. Freyr was a Swedish king. He was extremely important to the people. His own descendants who went Christian got semi-deified, and then in a weird twist of fate, became a saint, as well as this semi-deified figure among the pagans, and then the church made him, in their imagery, look exactly like Thor, and fuse in some Thor legends. Uh, it's a whole freaking mess. It's fascinating, but basically nothing is that simple and here's the thing is there's enough legends of wotan wode and woden which all depict themselves slightly differently from each other in the actual folklore yes they're spread out that it's especially among agricultural communities that makes it hard for me to believe this is odin because odin wasn't a fertility god he wasn't a god of the common people that's why the reason we have so many stories of Odin is because the aristocracy wrote it down. You know, it's like when they try to say pedophilia was normalized in ancient Greek. Well, by that same standard, all the weirdos, you know, in Hollywood who push shit like that. Well, by that definition, all of America is okay with pedophilia. The elites of a society corrupt first and then try to corrupt the rest of the populace to make what they're doing okay. In the same token, the aristocracy, especially in the time when the Eddas would have been written down, were f removed from the average populace. So you have a distinct difference between these two things. This is why it's kind of hard for me to buy that Odin was c continued in oral tradition as much as Wotan and Woden were because he's really doesn't fit the type of character that shows up with them. Right. And the whole point here really is to take it back to the beginning. So why are we talking about some of this other stuff? It's to show where that what happens when you don't go back and start at the beginning when you just jump in and start because you're in a, a new environment. And I understand why people will take people, uh, the others at face value and question nothing, especially when they're saying smarticle stuff. Um, like one of my pet peeves and hmm, on YouTube. Yes, I do watch some YouTube videos and watching some fun videos on lore and they present the, the, the video as historic. And then they'll talk about how Thor and his brother Loki and their sister Hell. That's Marvel. I did, I, I've never actually read the, the Eddas, but I've had the stories read to me and told to me. And I understand these things don't go together in that order. That is a Marvel movie. Well, and this is the reason that it annoys me. Is well, and it's coming from experts, supposed experts. Yeah, like CG just said, it's coming from supposed experts. But the reason that it bugs me, and I'll be honest about this, it's not that I actually care about the genealogies being correct, because I view the genealogies as symbolic. Odin and Thor, Odin is not necessarily the father of Thor, but he's represented as such. <clears throat> and the same with, like, Freyr. Freyr was the most prominent god in parts of Scandinavia until the cult of Odin moved in. And really, we don't really have proof that Odin's cult in Scandinavia proper ever truly outranked Freyr pre-Christianity, if I think about it. Because even Uppsala, uh, th there's Wotan, 
there's Frere, and then there's Thor in the high seat. This tells me that at best, Frere and Wotan might have been considered of equal importance. And then that's Wotan, not Odin. And then there's Thor, who's in charge of it all. Because that's what you put on the freaking high seat. And that's if Uppsala's uh, whole temple complex is not Christian propaganda. Because, oh boy, some of the, some of the, there's some issues there. But, whatever. And this is one thing that you need to look out for. And this is basically to give you a visual representation when you're first starting out in paganism. First of all, I recommend detoxing from a lot of what you had going on in your life before. Um, number two, think of it like like those 3D puzzles, like a jigsaw 3D puzzle. I think people have seen those before. But you got a bunch of mismatched pieces, like a lot of them at this point in your life. So you have to work just to chip off the pieces that aren't working, that are actually detrimental to you. And then, on top of that, you have to then start slowly, methodically, putting puzzle pieces back into their supposed slots. And you're going to be offered a lot of puzzle pieces that look like they fit, but don't. People will get just so easily offended because they didn't actually start from the beginning. They tried jumping into the end of the game. And then, uh, this happens to us all the time on Telegram, we'll, we'll do posts. And we'll say something on there that people don't like to hear. Like, um, I don't know, you did one today and we lost a handful of, of subscribers. And it was about, um, well, actually it was about a few things. So I don't, I, I don't even quite grab why they, why they got all mad. And it was like, bam, 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 all right in a row when they was, when they was bailing. So I'm assuming these are people that know each other, although it could be coincidence. Who knows? doesn't matter. But it's, uh, let me see, you, you brought up. When you're reading the sources, take into consideration when it was written and who wrote it and why they wrote it. And then you used, a, uh, like the Greek, the, the Kalevala, I think I'm saying that right, and the Eddas, I believe. Well, with the Greek and Roman, first of all, each city-state in the Greeks would have had a different mythology. Uh, so that's one thing that you need to take into consideration with the Greek. That's what I was bringing up. In the Kalevala... Yes, it is Finnish folklore. Yes, it is Finnish mythology. But it was written by someone whose main goal was to protect the history and to protect the identity of the Finns. And he intentionally sort of Christianized it up in some areas. So there are some things that are not correct. I don't know 100% how he messed it up, but it, he did it. You can kind of tell there's even historical records of that. Same with the Eddas, written by a priest, lost for a few hundred years, various scraps, and a bardic textbook thrown together into these two and sometimes one Edda. Uh, the Celtic stories have been supremely screwed with. Anyone who's read them, I mean, you've got a god who converts to a saint and then kills a powerful Celtic warrior by tapping him with a stick, you know, in service of Jesus. I mean, it's pretty obvious these things have been fucked with. And people will take them at face value and start arguing that, like, Christianity is the Celtic religion. It's the weirdest thing. And it's why you have to go in partially detoxed. I can't say completely because that could take the rest of your life. So you kind of have to start somewhere. <laughs> and here's the thing is I understand why someone might get offended 
if say I say the book is not 100% accurate because they're used to reading a book and being able to take it at face value. That's what the Bible is. That's what the Rig Veda is supposed to be for the Hindus. That's what the Torah is. That's what the Quran is. That's what all these holy books are supposed to be. And that's just not how it works in paganism. We don't t technically have holy books. Uh, I like to say that our stories are not the word of God. They're the word of the people. And actually that makes it mean more. And here's the thing with our mythology. Because I started from the beginning too. Where everybody else gets stuck at. Where everybody else ends up. I started and I dug into that, but it's because people don't go in with a, a clear enough head, so they end up just sort of mimicking the same traits they had before, whether that was a nihilistic atheist, a spiritualist, a new ager, a cultist, or a Christian, or what have you. And they don't bother to detox themselves from these things. It's like when somebody who's a pagan and hears I'm doing the God of the Day book says, oh, next you should do a book of saints. I get very confused why they would even want that. But with all this, this is why you have to keep it liquid. Is you're going to think certain things that among, among further reading will probably be incorrect. There are many things I used to think that I no longer think because I asked questions and kept doing that. If I had solidified when I first got into paganism, just read the Eddas and said, okay, I'm a Norse pagan now. I'm going to wear a Mjolnir, you know, grow my hair out, get a, get a freaking man bun on and say, hail the all father every once in a while. Yeah, no, no, no. I, uh... well, I was just going to say, you also wouldn't realize that the Scandinavians in reality actually worship the giants more so than the gods as people think of them. And that most of the gods are, oh yeah, they're giants too. So yeah, you wouldn't have thought to ask the questions because you would have just been taking everything at face value. And I had a very important point that I was going to bring up and I forgot completely what it was, which means it was very important because you only ever forget really important things. <laughs> it's just the way that works. But uh, here, the thing is, is a lot of people, uh, well, oh, I remember now. I think a lot of people... Uh, like the the poster, it, granted, it was just a handful of people, but it happens every time that we say something that I know somebody disagrees with, they, they leave, which fine. It's better than sitting there arguing with us. Um, but I think it, it I can equate this to the modern modern social life in general. I have been pagan for years. You aren't going to tell me how to do this. I've read all these books which most of them actually haven't read the books. They've watched videos about the books. And I pointed out just how, uh, how full of fallacy that can be very quickly, very easily. You aren't going to tell me this isn't the way that it is. The equivalent would be, imagine that you go to college for four years, seven years, eight years, just to find out that your degree isn't worth anything. And worse yet, they taught you everything wrong. Everything that they taught you was incorrect. How, how much is that going to hurt your heart and your, your, your head and your feels? They're just going to crumble. And I think basically that's what we're encountering when people get mad at us. As we say this thing, they immediately understand it to be true. They don't know why, but then they get upset. And then they basically blame us and say, well, you guys are wrong. Well, 
Something as simple as, does Freya have cats? A lot of people get married to the idea that she has cats. They then get cats themselves. They base their entire understanding for some reason on the idea that she has cats. And then you point out that the word they translated as tomcat actually could mean any number of animals. In fact, it's more likely it means bear. It's just when artists were deciding what to associate Freya with, well, she's a bit of a witch goddess. Uh, have cats. Witches have cats, therefore she had cats. Like, a lot of people want to take it the other way around, where Freya had cats, that's why witches have cats. No, it's the other way around. Freya has cats because witches had cats. It's, it's a whole thing. And could it have meant cat? Yes. Is there now modern folklore that ties the cats into Freya? Yes, because a lot of people thought they were cats. It's like, people will comment on, why are there no mammoths in European folklore? Well, because after probably a few times of trying to tell kids about the great mammoth thing that happened and being like, what's a mammoth? Okay, you eventually just change it to auroch. And then when there's no... Or monster or dragon. Or monster or dragon. And so eventually it, the, the mammoth fades from memory. Why? Because nobody knows what they look like anymore. It's, it's a whole thing. It's why why it can get kind of odd for people is paganism does not have a lot of direct answers. Now here's where it gets kind of interesting. And it's actually something I encourage people to do is to get started on trying to make a tribal paganism, but that's not at the beginning. That's way, that's a lot of steps forward. But what used to be is there would be the local folklore, which would still disagree with itself because your family's telling of the great hero, Hey, Brush McPherson, and your neighbor's uh, telling of the great hero, Hey, Brush McPherson, and I made that up. Don't go looking for Hey, Brush McPherson. It might be real. I might have stumbled on that accidentally. It's happened. Um, but with Hey, Brush, but it's still the local hero, Hey, Brush McPherson. It's just different things were changed over the course of oral telling. And but you have an overall local feel. It's like the dogmen in the LP of uh, Michigan. That's a part of the local folklore. In Wisconsin, you have things like the trolls. I mean, there's, there's always these local things. And then there's things that expand far further. Like the Sasquatch. Like the Sasquatch or Paul Bunyan. These are much broader elements of American mythic tradition. Then you have things like the Founding Fathers, also more widespread. Other things are more localized, local folk heroes, local creatures, local monsters. Some of them get famous but never really like move Popeye. out, like Popeye. Or um, the Mothman, known across the country and beyond, but still all very the folk, very local. So it's one of those things. It's sort of like a pan situation with Mothman because he was a very local god. And then he's nowadays he's just super famous. Um, and again... This doesn't invalidate how you do things, but it does mean that you can't get overly married to it. And I think that one thing that is important to also consider is that that whole all-loving uh, God thing that's over in you know Christianity, it's not in paganism. It's not remotely. Um, there's a bit of there's that sort of automatic familial love, I guess you could say, with the gods because they're the extended family. Um, however, with the gods, 
you also have to understand they also detest weakness they detest deceit they detest many of these things and sometimes they detest someone just because it's tuesday so this all loving god thing it's just not natural because like for example i'll use an example of hala hala to the good the hard-working the studious the righteous the brave gifts teachings you know all these things that she does to help them the wicked lost in the woods until they st until they almost starve you know uh crumbled to death in their castle all these things she does not always play nice and it's not an all loving situation she she's one of the more affectionate kindly gods just to further south you have perchta who is a far more more aggressive goddess But to bring it back to starting from the beginning, because we keep jumping to the middle and in some cases the end. Yeah, yeah, really there is no end, but um, to somebody that's been doing it for a few years. But to start at the beginning, one of the things actually is learn how to ask a good question. What is a good question? Take this lie that's been told to you for the entirety of your life ball it up, throw it in the trash, set it on fire. That lie that has been told to you the entirety of your life and is still echoed today. And you might knee-jerk even regurgitate it without thinking. There's no such thing as a stupid question. This is a blatant lie. Because if you don't learn how to ask the correct questions, what are good questions, which is, what is a good question? A good question is a question that directly reflects what it is that you're thinking then you can if you don't learn how to ask good questions if you just ask stupid questions pretty much anything can be thrown in as the answer and i've used this before and i'll use it again example of a stupid question can you tell me about odin we all know instinctively this is not what the person meant in relation to my answer I actually answered the question, yes. We know that they wasn't actually just asking me if I could tell them about Odin. What they was asking me is, can I explain Odin to them? Can I tell them stories of Odin? So, I mean, really the plethora is pretty wide. But they asked a stupid question, so I answered their question just to point it out with yes because that's specifically what they asked. Now, had I been a more malicious person, I guess, I could have answered that question in any myriad of ways and portrayed anything that I wanted to. I could have taken Odin and made, uh, yeah, I can tell you all about Odin and how in reality, you see, he is, let's get completely ridiculous. Odin is actually Inspector Gadget. And this is why. Why? Because the question was just so vague. It was not a good question. And really, children actually do ask good, good questions. I, I very rarely... And, and, okay, this is a childish way of asking the question. Um, I don't know. I'll pretend to be a child talking to mom and dad. Mom and dad. Can you tell me, I heard about Odin. Can you tell me about Odin? The answer, yes. Oh, well, uh, 
who was Odin? Where did he live? That's a childish progression. And you see already, I'm hoping, how much better of a question series this is. There's nothing wrong with the question that was asked specifically at the beginning. What was wrong was that's where it ended, and that's what made it a stupid question. Well, and I do want to tell people that one of the best things you can do is actually start from the situation of basically after you've detoxed, this is the three things that I used to recommend. I sort of stopped doing it, not because it was the wrong thing to recommend, but because most people never took me up on it. But if you're getting started into paganism, these are the three things I always tell people to look into. Look into your ancestry, look into your local folklore, and look into your local folk customs. And this includes both your ancestral ones, if you're outside of Europe now, as well as the local ones. Like there are customs in, say, America that are not present still in, say, Germany. Like people have asked me before, like as a pagan, how do you celebrate Yule? And this has always been my recommendation. And everyone kind of looks at me dumbfounded. And I'm like, basically do Christmas, but take out all the Jesus stuff. You can even keep the angels because the way that those are depicted is just Greek gods and some various spirits that show up with wings in European folklore. Well, and another way of approaching things from the beginning, and I keep mentioning children. The reason why I keep mentioning children is because they, they have the minimal amount of, of programming put into them. So they are the closest actually to our blood spirit or our blood memory, however it is that you want to look at it. I forgot what I was going to say now. It was really, really important. It had to do with questions and answers. Um, and yeah, basically where I was going with it is when, when be like a child, try and disprove everything. How many children, when you tell them, oh, don't climb, don't stack the chairs up and climb up on the chairs to get the cookies on top that's on top of the fridge because you're going to fall and break your neck. As soon as you're not looking, what is it the child does? He tries to prove you wrong. He takes a couple chairs, stacks them up in front of the fridge, and starts climbing to reach the top. Try and prove things wrong. That's the, 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 the same um, uh, tack that me and the lore keeper take. Like, uh, the whole we are descended from bears thing. That came up from just logical thinking, and uh, it was an idea that we played with. First thing that we did was started trying to prove it wrong, but we didn't go the usual route of, well, science says that we're descended from monkeys. We also started from the concept that that is wrong. So let's start looking into this. We are descended of bears thing. Is this anything in lore? Probably not because it sounds absolutely ridiculous. And then we found something and we tried, we still tried to prove it wrong. And we kept looking, trying to prove it wrong and trying to prove it wrong until eventually there was so much evidence that was found through us trying to prove it wrong. We we're like, yeah, yeah, there's a distinct possibility, at least meta uh, met metaphorically, metaphysically, that we're descended from bears. And then we also even started looking at the biology and the science of it. And there's there's stuff there, people go try and prove us wrong, but don't just go to the easy answer. Go the long, hard route. 
Well, and even Darwin postulated potentially that because uh, he actually went to convergent evolution rather than divergent evolution for people at some point and started arguing, I think, actually for bears for us mm -hmm. or something like that. But um, so we, he got weird. On he got weird, but he was he was an old crazy science guy. So, of course, he's going to. Uh, but one thing that um, it's good to do is have a childlike mindset. Because everyone thinks that means children will buy anything. No. They, they trust their parents to an extent, but they still want to prove them wrong. Like, I found this thing. It was just uh, someone posted on social media. And they were like, my child asked me what day it was. And I said Wednesday. And the child said, I'm not sure if I agree with that. And the parents like, I didn't know we could do that. <laughs> uh, and it's, um, it's how a child thinks. It's, it's Wednesday. I don't think so. <laughs> you could show them on the calendar and they'll be like, but it feels like Tuesday. Um, and sometimes they do that just to be little shits. Mm -hmm. um, but with that, on, if you go with, um, with that sort of thing, it's also the wonder. Because children are not against these things. It's like, for example, we can only see to a certain range of light. We can only hear to a certain range of sound. In general, that means there is a shit ton of stuff we can't see, which is why the idea of spirits really isn't impossible. It's a whole thing. Um, but that gets into a more complex thing. But for kids, it it's like someone wrote, I think it was Mana of Moria, and I agree with this, is we are born animistic and pagan. We are not born... Christian inherently or Muslim or whatever we are born inherently our ethnic faith this is why I say things like if you let the children if you and I'm not talking about free-range parenting we have to decolonize the thinking of how we teach oh. our children and let the child teach themselves and wonder about and no, there no. Four people that listen to us. <laughs> <laughs> but it does mean that children are biologically programmed effectively to be who we are at our core. So pagan, animist, noble, strong, but also some cruel motherfuckers because we are a very brutal people. We've brought it up before. The reason our, our civilizations and tribes tend to be so peaceful, it's not because we're an inherently pacifist or peaceful people. It's because we're an inherently brutal people. And, if, and we used to not really have cops. There might be like one or two, and they were basically just there in case shit got super real. And then if it got super duper real, they didn't get involved. Because at that point, it's like a miniature war, like the Hatfields and the McCoys. Well, and then we'll do things too, like, um, well, see, the kids, they will steal from each other. Okay, no, yes, but also no. Because the way children approach this, and this can be applied to our tribal war warfare, basically. Child sees thing child wants. It belongs to other child. Child says, can I have this thing? Other child says, no. If child has something to trade, they try to trade. If the trade is denied and the child thinks that he can take the other one, okay, fine. You won't give it to me. You won't trade for it. I will take it by force. If, if he can, he will. And then what does the other child do if he's strong enough? Knocks him back down and takes it back. And it will escalate until they're actually fighting over the toy, for instance. 
This is our approach to war. It's honest for us, for our people. This is an honest warfare. You have a thing. I like the thing. Can I have the thing? No. Okay. Well, I have this other thing. I'll give you my thing for your thing. Can I have it now? Well, no, but you aren't using it. I want that thing and I'll give you this thing. Still no. All right, fine. He's not looking. I'll take the thing, which sounds like theft and it could be, but then we don't hide that. We took it not naturally. This, the, the hiding of it is something that's taught. We'll just grab it and start using it and be like, da, 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 what you're going to do about it. And then we fight over it. It is an honest approach to war, whether it's for resources, um, an idea, an encroachment of territory. It doesn't matter what it is. At least it's an honest approach to war and is in many ways a childish way of approaching war, which is honest. It's good. It's natural. It's part of who and what we are. And this was even commented on by the Romans and by the Greeks in writing that when they encountered the northern tribesmen, they were very they was equated to children because of how honest and open and just even brutal they were. Well, and for instance, on average, children tend to not steal from their friends. They'll steal from strangers, acquaintances, enemies, the guy next door they're kind of meh on. But they tend not to steal from... Uh, well, and friends tend have a tendency to share as well. Yeah, friends have a tendency to share, as do family. Though, even that, like, I have not... I have been known when I was little to steal cookies from my siblings. Oh, you have cookies. Can I have one? No. Oh. When they're not looking. Grab, grab, grab one and eat it and be like, what are you going to do? It's in my stomach. Right, but you're willing to fight over it. Yeah. Which is our natural inclination. We are willing to fight over it. Once we do it, we are willing to fight. Yes. And here's the thing is anyone that's like, well, trade and all this stuff. And have you ever, there was no written rules for trading Pokemon cards, baseball cards. No, it was. I have, okay, I don't know baseball too well, but I grew up in the 90s, so I know my Pokemons. Um, if you, I'll, I'll trade you three Blastoises for your one Charizard. Don't make it, it's not a good enough trade. But um, but that's how that works. Or I have a, bol, uh, a Squirtle, a War Turtle, and a Blastoise. I'll trade that for your Charizard or whatever. Basically, it turns into... This card has the most amount of value for the cool factor, and it's rare. And that's the thing with us, is it's both the technical actual value, and then the value it actually has. Because like Amber, for instance, it has effectively no industrial value. We just like it. It's pretty. But it, unlike diamonds, which have no inherent value, really but have a lot of industrial value. It's the weirdest thing. And it's because on average, we tend to put value on things and it's depends on what hierarchy of needs is met. Because if food is not necessarily consistent and plentiful, we might be more inclined to go for food. Well, and just as an example for a while, seeds, specifically food plant seeds were worth more than gold. And it's because there was famines everywhere. So anybody that had seeds, oh man, they, they, they was calling the shots. Anybody that had gold, they was like, but I really want food and I got gold, it's shiny. 
This has happened in our own history. So yeah, it, it's value. That's that's a whole nother thing. But really, it's we when people come into paganism, and I don't care if you've been here for 10, 20 years, back up and make sure that you're that the foundations which actually start at childhood are solid so back up and reassess am i still able to see the world in this innocent way in this naive and brutal way because they are brutal but children are also very very kind very kind i've also noticed through observation children are never nice until they're forced to be nice they are they are kind and they are brutal they are savage they are pure they are raw but they're never nice the for example everybody complains that they can't get their children to put away the plates uh you know take care of their their dinner plates or silverware or use manners like Please and thank you. Excuse me. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. But I can get children to do this in a matter of moments. All I do, especially with the with the manners, like please and thank you. Please, dear child, this is what you do. I know that you don't like getting in trouble, but do you know what please actually means when you say please give me a whatever? And they're like, well, no, yes, but no, what what do you mean? I'm like, please is actually saying, give me that fucking thing now. It's the polite way of doing it. And if you say please, they kind of look like jerks when they say no, unless they have a very good reason for not doing it, because you said it in the polite way. Next thing you know, the child is running around saying, please, can I have, please give me this, please, 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 please. For thank you, I will tell them. And of course, I do it away from the other adults. And I will tell them, thank you means about fucking time. And I always throw the swears in there. Why? Because they're not supposed to swear and they know it. They're not supposed to use the swears. So this is code for I get to swear at people. And then next thing you know, these kids are running around. Please, thank you. Excuse me. Excuse me is just a polite way of saying get the fuck out of my way. And... They will do this same way with taking care of your, your, your plates and your, your dishes or whatever the chore is. I will turn it into a thing that is, they get to be brutal. They are being brutal and savage and they love it and they will do it. And they will delight in the fact that nobody realizes what it is that they're doing because they also like being smart. Who doesn't like being smart? Who doesn't like being smarter than the people that's around them? Make sense? So... Make sure that we're always going back and looking at the world from a childish point of view. And it sounds bad because we're always taught, don't be childish. Don't be childish. Well, don't be a spoiled brat. But be childish. Just don't be a spoiled brat. The temper tantrums are unacceptable. Like the Karens. That's why we mock them. Is because they are just spoiled children. Don't be the spoiled child. Be the child. I hope, I hope that kind of makes sense. Well, it's like some people say. There are 14-year-old men and 40-year-old boys. And not in a good way. Because here's the thing is, children were expected to grow up to, uh, early on. They still kept the childlike wonder and nature. 
but they had to understand like there are actual consequences for their actions. It's like that saying, um, children raised in war that have never known peace and children raised in peace that have never known war have a completely different moral system. Guess which one the spoiled brats tend to pop up in? Um, spoiled brats come from wartime because they understand that all they got to do is yell and scream until they get a thing, right? Is that the, no, no. Ah, dang it. I got it backwards. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a, an entire thing. And also, if you can embrace that childish view, uh, that pure, and that's what I'm using, using childish for. Children are natural, naturally born with this, so that's why I choose children. But it's a metaphor for that innocent, unexpected, unvarnished, untainted, un... It's that pure view of the world. And then you can actually begin to see magic in the world again. Um, I, I know it's a lost art. And I've talked to people who are adults now. They don't know what I'm talking about when I when I will say things like, well, you remember when you was a kid and you was playing cops and robbers or swords or war or race cars or whatever, and you would, let's go with race cars. You would be sitting in a race car and you could actually see the car even though it was just just a cardboard box and didn't even have the, the, the steering wheel. So you're just sitting in a cardboard box. But as a child, you're sitting in a NASCAR and you can see it. And then you can see the racetrack that you're on and you can see the other cars. This is natural for children. People have been taught to not play. So you might, you listener might not know what I'm talking about. I've, because I've talked to a lot of adults now, they don't remember that. They, they never did that because he is never allowed to play. Learn how to play. Magic is, it's real. It really is. And I'm not talking about waving chicken feathers and throwing dust in the air magic. I'm talking about the magic of life, period. The magic of the imagination where worlds are opened up in front of you. Possibility is opened up before you everywhere. The, the magic of how the ant crawls up the wall. The magic of, um, I, I've been showing the lore keepers some magic. Um, there's some grapevines outside and I moved it around and showing how it's growing and adapting to where it is now growing and what it's doing every couple of days, there's noticeable change in it. And it's magic. The, the, the grapevine, which typically it will, uh, it grows out off the little sprouts to cling on to things, right? This one, on the other hand, because it's on hot cement has grown legs. So it props itself up. Well, and I think one of the things that I really want to hammer home here is that it is natural to us to be pagan. And in general, it's not that she'll, that. You can just basically go, oh, I'll behave like a child. That's not how what we're talking about yeah. here. But I'm covering my bases there. But the reason we say start at the beginning, and here's the thing is, I would even say it's starting at the beginning, it's starting before the beginning. That's why I recommend looking at other things. Because if you are not interested in returning to ethnic faith, you just kind of want to do paganism because it's cool or whatever, probably not the best thing for you. And... It's, well, it is work, but well, and here's the thing. If it's just an academic study for you, 
but you don't want to actually go that route, that's fine. But put in the qualifier is just an academic examination for me. And I don't know which one is true and which one is false. But all I can say is what these books say is I find it interesting. That's fine. Go ahead and do that. But then when you read reading the, these books, don't try to tell the actual pagans what these books mean because you're in the wrong mindset if that's the case. Well, like somebody... Well, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. Theist, atheist doesn't matter in paganism. But there is a very big difference between somebody who believes in the gods, even as archetypes that affect us directly. Um, part of the collective unconscious, one could say. Versus somebody that thinks, oh, look at these silly things our ancestors believed. Aren't they interesting tales? I mean, they're very interesting, but they're just silly. And whether that's from the atheist or the Christian perspective, you are looking at it completely differently. It's like how we, we used to have this one guy we talked to, and he would argue with us that hell is described as uh, an, evil, an evil goddess, and she tortures people in hell or something. And we would argue, no, that's not what she is. And she's, he's like, well, that's what she is in the sources. Well, in some translations, but really, if you actually look at what she does, actions speak louder than words. And especially in stories where they've inserted just random stuff like these ones are evil. You can pretty much tell that there's a problem there. Well, uh, yeah. And here's the thing. It's, there's a lot of people been talking about this. That's not even in the pagan spheres. They're like science, science and, and math and all the, the technical stuff. Um, they are constantly talking about the dangers of confirmation bias. And really that guy that you was just talking about, he was, he was reading the sources. Yes, but he was doing it from a specific angle and looking to confirm his own bias rather than being willing to have it challenged because we took this reading the same text that, that he was reading the exact same text that he was and understanding it in two completely different ways because he was starting from the concept hell is evil. We was starting from the concept of hell is not evil because evil itself doesn't exist. So let's see what hell is according to this source. It never actually came out and said she is evil. And, and so he was reading it for confirmation bias. And yeah, he got mad at us. I mean, couldn't say that we was wrong, even though we was coming right out and saying he was wrong. He couldn't actually deny what we was saying because what we was saying when we explained it, not just in that little slice, but in context with the rest of the writing, made more sense than what he was saying. Precisely. And here's the thing is, and I've brought it up before, you don't have to be a fortune teller to be pagan. This is actually oh, please don't be a fortune This is actually something I've seen where people will read the runes or tarot cards or something and considering consider it an inherent part of their pagan practice. And that's fine. But I've also had people when I tell them, yeah, I don't read runes, it's an alphabet, I just use it as an alphabet, and even then I don't really get a lot of opportunities to write and read in Old Norse, so uh I don't do that very often, and they're like, Oh, so you don't actually do any practice? And I'm like no, no, I do. I just, I don't 
you know, read runes. I don't put on a witch's hat and a cloak and go off into the woods and set fires and pray to them or something. I don't do that stuff because it's not me. It's silly from my perspective. If it's working for you, whatever. It's like, I don't need to actually venerate the same deities as another pagan. I've ha- I have friends that do all Celtic gods. I have friends that do, you know, the Norse giants and gods. I have people that are Iberian. There's bleed over between some of these, but others it's a completely different thing. And it's, there is no need for one single confined pantheon because all of our people are, is this gradient like Radagast, for instance. Everyone knows Radagast the Brown. Do they know Radagast the Hospitality God? He's Slavic, but his area bleeds into Germany. Or all the Celtic gods that were also venerated in Germany, sometimes even by Germanic tribes. It's one of the reasons I say you have to start at the beginning, because if you come in with this dogmatic, doctrinal mindset, you end up being extremely married to this idea of this set, stories, uh, Bible-style book, dogma, and doctrine, and you get very aggressive when anyone comes after it, in the same way Christians do when you point out that they just worship a Jewish wizard. All right, and we're coming into the end, so I'm just going to remind everybody, um, share us around. Um, And you can, if you like, what we do and you want us to be able to do more of it and do more of it better um which there are some things that we could do but then we have to um basically it the show would have to be wholly supported by the audience um but yeah anyways follow the the link tree that's in the description of our channel and you can find ways to donate to us directly and follow our other content like on telegram uh youtube and other places so, yeah, until then, shit's getting real, guys. That's why we're getting more brutal. And um, keep your powder dry. And I'll go ahead and say to all those on the battlefields and wastelands of modernity, it, just repeating my advice from earlier on, if you're just getting started or you're interested in sort of expanding or tribalizing your view of paganism, look to your ancestors. Who were they? What did they do? How does that affect you? Look to the folk customs of your ancestral homelands or, and if you're somewhere else than there, look there too. And look at it from a pagan mindset. Look what might be hidden underneath and look to your local customs and gods, because there's a very big difference between the English versus Scandinavian, etc., etc. And those gods are calling home to you. That is your aspect of this divine family, these divine tribes that are the gods of our people. And with that, Lorekeeper out. Oh, thank you.